Now, tonight's uh, message is kind of a continuation of this morning's message. I wanted to address some issues that I raised this morning that uh, we didn't really have time to look at, and I didn't want to uh, take our minds away from the exact text. This morning I was in 2 Timothy 1.15, which reads, You are well aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me among who are phygelous and homogenes. That was my text, that one verse. And if you remember, I spoke about the shocking nature of that statement. And I said it was shocking for four reasons. First, because it was Paul that they turned away from. I said if uh, you would think of anyone in the world where the church would be loyal to until his death, it would be the Apostle Paul. But they weren't. And it teaches us that there's no guarantees in life, and you can be very faithful, and yet people will t- can and do turn their backs on you. The second reason that it was shocking was because of the amount of people that turned their back upon the Apostle Paul. It says all who are in Asia turned their back on him. Thirdly, it was shocking because... Look at the text here. Because of those that turned their back on him, namely Phygelus and Hermogenes. I said we really don't know who they are. We don't know for sure. I'm guessing they are elders, and I'll tell you why tonight. But uh, we can't say that definitively. They could have been close friends. But the point is that they were the last people that one would expect that would turn their back on the Apostle Paul, and yet they did. And then lastly, it was shocking because of the region that turned their back upon the Lord. Uh, Not the Lord, upon Paul. Because he says that all those in Asia... And I pointed out that the most prominent church in Asia was Ephesus. And you think of any church that would be loyal to the Apostle Paul would be the church at Ephesus. But they weren't. Tonight, I want to look at why they weren't. Uh, It's uh, rather, again, shocking, but helpful consideration, I trust. So if you look at your handouts... We're looking at Paul's last meeting with the Ephesian elders. Theme, Paul readies the elders at Ephesus for the close to his ministry. He tells them in Acts chapter 20, verse 25, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So Paul is aware that not one of these elders will ever see Paul in the flesh Again, Now, some background to that. First, Paul calls a meeting of the Ephesian elders. Paul called a meeting when he was in Miletus. It says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. That was some distance, and it is the only recorded such meeting in the scriptures, where Paul summons the elders from a church to rendezvous with him. Uh, He isn't going back to Ephesus, so he calls them to come to him on this missionary journey, and they do. 
They all come to the meeting. Verse 18, and when they came to him. So, uh, application. Paul continued to be concerned for the church at Ephesus in his absence. He left Timothy in Ephesus to minister to them in his absence. 1 Timothy 1, 2, and 3. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So, not rehearsing all of Acts, but as Paul is ministering in Ephesus, he's there for three years. At the end of that three years, he continues to stay in Ephesus for, for a period of time, and Timothy is sent off to minister elsewhere. Paul then leaves to go to Macedonia and to be on that missionary journey. When Paul travels to Macedonia and leaves Ephesus, he sends Timothy back to Ephesus in order to address a doctrinal issue or issues, according to 1 Timothy 1.3. Number three, he called the elders and met with them when he could not be in Ephesus in person. Four, he sent Tychicus to minister to the church when they were no longer faithful to Paul. 2 Timothy 4.12, Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Now Paul is in prison in Rome. He sends to Timothy and says, Timothy, you come with all due diligence. I need you here. Well, that's a pretty precarious situation for the church at Ephesus, who has turned their back upon Paul. Is that a wise thing to do, to take Timothy out of that situation and bring him to see Paul? Well, Paul says, I'm going to send Tychicus because you're coming here. Uh, so he still has a representative that uh, is going to minister in Ephesus. Number two, Paul rehearses the commendable way he had conducted himself when he ministered among them. Starting in verse 18. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Paul described the way that he had served the Lord. Paul served the Lord selflessly. He said with all humility. That uh, really means in a self-sacrificing way. He was not out for prominence. He was not out for power. He was seeking to be a benefit to the church. Paul served the Lord compassionately, with tears. His concern was genuine and real. And Paul served the Lord courageously. For it says, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. And certainly they were well aware of these things. B, Paul describes the faithful manner in which he performed his duties. Verse 20, how he did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Paul taught the word both publicly and privately. Verse 20, and teaching you in public and from house to house. So he was faithful in the preaching, teaching of the word of God. Number two, Paul taught both the Jews and the Greeks. 
testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks. And thirdly, Paul taught the same message, both to the Jews and the Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul did not alter his message in order to make it more pleasing or acceptable. He didn't say one thing to the Jewish people and another to the Gentile people. He knew that there would be things that he said that would upset the Jews, and he knew that there were things that he said that would upset the Gentiles, but he said them anyway. He was faithful to the scriptures. He was faithful in the discharging of his duties, and they knew that well. The question is, why did Paul draw attention to his service in this manner? Why did he point that out? Wasn't that self-promoting? <laughs> Isn't that kind of like patting yourself on the back? Look at me. Look at what I have done. Look at how I have sacrificed. Look at how I have been faithful. Was Paul boasting? I submit to you he was not. He was not. He is saying this at the close of his ministry. He's not saying this when he is ministering in Ephesus. At that point, he's not uh, pointing out all the sacrifices he made and all the things that he did, but he is writing them in order to be able to make a contrast. A contrast between his ministry and the ministry of those that will follow. He wants them to be well aware of the difference in the way in which he ministered and the way that others are going to minister in the future. Number three, Paul speaks of his future plans. Paul is on the way to Jerusalem. Acts 20, verse 22, Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. Paul feels compelled by God to go there, constrained by the Spirit. Right? So Paul says, I'm following the will of God. This is what God wants me to do. I'm going to Jerusalem. Paul does not know how things are going to turn out there. He says, not knowing what will happen to me there. However, Paul knows that it probably will not go well, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions wait me. Uh, I said, uh, probably things will not go well. Uh, that's an understatement. According to Paul's own words, the Holy Spirit has revealed to him that in every city that he goes to, he's going to encounter trouble. He's going to encounter afflictions, and he's often going to be in prison. He knows that. He doesn't know much else about what the future holds, but he knows it's going to be problematic, and he knows that it's going to involve prison. E. Nevertheless, Paul is going anyway. Paul is willing to give his life if necessary. Acts 20, verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. So Paul says, I'm willing to go, and if it's going to cost me my life, so be it. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Number two, his greatest concern is fulfilling the work that God has given him to do. Middle of verse 24, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus. That's his greatest concern, that he continues to follow the Lord right to the end of his life, and that he will have completed all that God wanted him to do. 
Well, you read 2 Timothy, and he said, I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. Paul says, I finished my course. When he's in Acts, and he's talking to the Ephesian elders, he said, I just got one concern. I finished my course. I do what God wants me to do. Second Timothy says, I'm ready to die. I finished the work that God's given me to do. I know my time is up. Let's move on. Number four. Paul relates that this will be the last time that he will see them. Verse 25. Now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. He says it with, a, with certainty. He is confident that he's not going to see any of their faces again. Now the question comes, wherein does that confidence lie? Why is he so sure that he's not going to see their face again? Well, we could say because he's going to die and he's not going to be able to return to Ephesus. Well, it appears that he knows that he's going to be in prison. But he says, I don't know what happens after that. I submit to you the answer is coming up. That he is aware that they're going to abandon him. He knows that they're going to turn their back on him. He knows that none of them are going to support him. None of them are going to visit him. None of them are going to come to his assistance. Now let me point out how we know that. Paul states that his work among the Ephesians is finished. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shirk from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now here's where we slow down and we look at this material kind of carefully. Paul exhorts the Ephesian elders to guard themselves and the church. This is the main reason for gathering them together. Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock. Now what he says is that first of all, God has appointed them to be elders, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So Paul doesn't question their calling. That's important to keep in mind. Paul doesn't look at them and say, you are illegitimate elders. You never should have occupied this office. But rather, he says to them, God has placed you in this responsibility. You are here by the will of God. Our God is sovereign. And Paul says to them, you are ministering under the authority of God. Secondly, the purpose of the elders is to serve the church. Notice verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To do what? To care for the church of God. Okay? That's the reason 
that God has made you an elder. To care for the church of God. To watch over the people of God. That is your sole duty. That is your responsibility. To care for God's people. And of course we find out in the book of Hebrews that the elders have to give an account for how well they have done that. The elders are to remember that the church belongs to God and not them. For he says in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, and now this, which he obtained with his own blood. Uh, Obtained means to possess, to rule over. Okay, This is God's church that you're to care for. Uh, You are a steward of his work. These aren't your people. These are God's people. And you must care for them. D. Paul speaks of those who in the future will seek to take personal advantage of the church. I know, okay, this second definitive statement, which relates to the previous I know. I know I will never see your face again. Now he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Okay? There are going to be people that will come from without the Ephesian church. They're going to come in among you. There are going to be people from the outside. And they are not going to be shepherds. They're going to be wolves. They aren't coming to care for the people of God. They're coming to take advantage of the people of God. What do the wolves do? The wolves eat the sheep. All right? The wolves devour the sheep. They have come to bring harm. They have come to do ill. Be on guard against them. Because you're going to face them. These are the people that are going to be bringing the false doctrine. And Paul is going to have much to say about them in both 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. These are those that are going to destroy the people of God through false doctrine. Next, these people will also come from within the Ephesian church. Verse 30, and from among your own selves. So here are the the two-fisted problem that Paul says is going to happen after my departure. You're going to have a problem from the outside because people are going to come in and start teaching false doctrine. You're going to have problems from within. You're going to have problems, and he's speaking to the elders of the church. That's the only people in front of them. He says, there's going to be problems with you guys. And then notice what he says. Verse 30, and from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after him. So let's talk about this for a moment. Some application. The people that come from within 
Include the elders, but probably are not limited to them. But includes the elders. And notice the method that they will use to draw away the disciples after them. They'll speak twisted things. It's an interesting translation. They will speak twisted things. That's not false doctrine necessarily. But they're not going to represent the truth. And in light of what we find in 2 Timothy, we can see that they are going to twist the truth about the Apostle Paul. They're going to twist what he said. They're going to twist what he did. They are going to intentionally seek to undermine the Apostle Paul's influence. Why would they do that? Look at the end of verse 30. Under G. To draw away the disciples after them. To draw away. Who are they drawing them away from? Answer, Paul. Paul. These are people who are following Paul, who have allegiance to Paul, his, his ministry, and their intention is to draw away those followers so that they follow them. Another thing that I would encourage you to note in verse 30, the ESV and the NAS translate this very precisely and accurately. For it says to draw away, and now the definite article, the disciples after them. If you uh, have an NIV, uh, it just simply says to draw away disciples. A lot in common, but the Greek is significant. For the disciples are viewed as a whole, the disciples, not just disciples in general but the whole kit and caboodle of disciples, the group of disciples, the church at Ephesus. They want the church to follow them, not Paul. They want to be the head honchos. They want to be in charge. They want to bring the church under their authority, under their power, under their influence. They want to wrest it away from Paul. They want to have the prestige. They want to have the honor. They want to be in that exalted position. They are jealous of Paul's influence over the church at Ephesus, and they are going to intentionally try to wrest it away from him. And we find in 2 Timothy that they are extremely, extremely successful. So that there's not one person who's willing to stand up and defend him, to come to his assistance, to come to his aid. They have somehow convinced everyone that they should turn their back on the Apostle Paul by twisting the things that they say. The reality is, 
as we were talking about this morning, the devastation and the shocking nature of all of this, that one of the most dangerous times in the life of a church is when the pastor leaves. Because many times there is a vacuum of leadership. That the pastors exercised a great deal of authority, influence. Uh, people respect him, they look up to him, they follow him. They uh, are usually pretty willing to go along with what he says and then that person is removed. And all too often, the elders start vying for that position of authority, for that position of influence. They want to direct the church in the way they want it to go. I had a remarkable meeting some time ago with uh, an elder from a local church that I will not mention. But he sat down with me and was seeking my advice because he said to me, as a board, the only thing that's keeping us together is pastor so-and-so. And he said, when pastor so-and-so retires, he said, I'm very concerned what's going to happen in the life of our church. He said, I think it's going to split. What can I do to help prevent that? And so we had a very interesting heart-to-heart -heart talk. But he was a prophet. The church did split. There was an incredible amount of power struggle and play in the Board of Elders. And they divided up into a number of different groups and sects, and people left. Unfortunately, that happens time and time and time again. It is so important that the elders have this servant attitude and a submissive spirit to guard their own hearts that they don't want to be the person of influence, the person of direction, the person that says, now I'm going to show where the church ought to go. The elders must always lead together. They must always lead in unity. They must always speak as a board. And not one elder speaking for the board, but the board speaks for the board. That they make joint decisions. Most likely, with that in view, when Paul mentions in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, that Phygelus and Hermogenes are among those that have forsaken him, I believe those are the elders that are being referred to in the book of Acts. Here are these men. Now, Paul said, it's not going to happen after I die. He says, it's going to happen after I leave. And he sends Timothy there to try to address the situation and the issue. Let's move on. 
Paul advises the elders concerning what to do in light of these threats. First, be conscious of the things that are going on around you. Therefore, be alert. Stand guard. Keep your eyes open. (laughs) Don't be fooled. Be aware. I'm warning you ahead of time. So don't let this happen. Second, trust in God for your protection. And now I commend you to God. Okay? Uh, You're in God's hands. He's saying, you don't need me. God is sufficient for this situation. They need to keep that in mind. Specifically, trust in God's word to protect the church. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Submit to his word. Teach his word. Number one, God's word is able to make his people strong, which is able to build you up. And God's word is able to keep his people to the end and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. God's word is sufficient. Stay true to God's word. Don't try to promote yourselves. Promote God and his word and you'll be fine. Paul's example stands in contrast with these wolves. Paul was not seeking anything for himself, verse 33. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. I wasn't in it for the money. Paul supplied his own needs. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. Paul serves as a tremendous example. In all these things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Okay? Uh, it's more blessed to serve than to be served. It's better to be concerned about the interests of others than your own interests. Paul and the elders depart fondly. They prayed together, verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. They wept together, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. They hugged together, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul, and they kissed him. And they walked together, and they accompanied him to the ship. You can see the picture, this devoted, huddled group of elders with Paul. They're crying, they're hugging him, they're kissing him, and they walk with him all the way down to the ship to see him off. Stand on the shore, waving their hands. So long, so long. And we read in verse 38 what I think is a great failure. Notice what verse 38 states. I'll give you verse 37 again for the context. There was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. They were weeping Because they weren't going to see Paul anymore. 
Was that genuine? Was that real? I believe it was. I believe that that's how they felt at the moment, at the time. But after Paul left, and there's a vacuum of leadership, they begin to say, you know, this is an opportunity. And perhaps some, even in a twisted way, it says they're twisted, in a twisted way, may think that they're doing the church a favor by exercising this leadership and drawing people after them. After all, Paul's not on the scene anymore. They need somebody to fill the vacuum. And Phygelus and Hermogenes are willing to step forward and say, follow us. Where are the leaders you need? We'll set the direction. We'll set the tone. We'll show you how the church should function and where it should go. Why do I say that's a failure? I mean, isn't that good? That they are sorrowful because they're not going to see Paul anymore? I think that's good. But the text points out being sorrowful most of all because of the word that had spoken that they would not see his face again. That's what troubled them the most. That's where they failed. What should have troubled them the most? When Paul told them that these false teachers were coming. When Paul said to them, they're going to be people come in and devour the flock. When Paul looked them in the face and said, there are going to be people among you that are going to intentionally draw people after yourself. Didn't phase them. Didn't phase them. They blew it at that moment. The purpose for which they were established in the church was to care for the flock. They took their eyes off the flock, put it on Paul, and then wanted that same kind of response. They wanted people hugging them. They wanted people kissing them. They wanted people praising them. They wanted that kind of prominence. They wanted to enjoy the respect Paul had. Without the imprisonments, without the sacrifices, without the faithfulness to the Word of God. But they wanted the privilege. They wanted the honor. They wanted the prestige. And when that happens, the church is in trouble. That's what happened in Ephesus. We're going to look at Sunday mornings then how this is all going to be addressed and what's going to happen. But I wanted to show you this morning the shocking nature and tonight to say, well, how in the world did that happen? How in the world did that happen?
Now, may we learn from that passage. And I thank God that we have a good group of elders. I really do. We have elders that are sacrificial in nature. May they continue to be so. May they continue to be more concerned about doctrinal truth and the care of the church than their own prestige and honor. May they not seek to establish a following, but be happy that people are following the Lord and doing his will. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. We thank you for this church. We thank you for our elders, but Lord, no one is immune. That's why you have written to Timothy in 2 Timothy, and I, I pray, Lord, you'd guard our elders. I thank you for the fine group of men. Lord, continue to guard them in the future, in the days that lie ahead. When there's a vacuum of leadership, Lord, may they not rush to fill it. May not one person want to dominate. May they not want to be the sole director of the life of the church. But Lord, may they continue to be humble. May they continue to care for the flock. May they continue to guard against false teaching. And Lord, may they not twist the history, twist the ministry, twist what the Word of God says in order to gain an upper hand for the purpose of wanting to be loved and admired and served. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.